Good evening. Most of us develop patterns in our prayers, uh, whether they're in the way that we pray in public or the way that we pray in private, and those can be good patterns or bad patterns. We can follow a pattern of talking to God in many different ways. So, for example, you'll often see uh, carried out in this church uh, something called Acts, where we have adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication, not just a wish list that we give up to God, but that we uh, pray to him in many different ways. Um, one of the pattern, uh, a couple patterns in my own prayer is you may notice on Sunday mornings when I'm doing the pastoral prayer, uh, if I'm doing a section on adoration, I will, often to, I will often default to the phrase, creator God of the universe. Um, I try to mix it up with different words that uh, cover the same idea when being intentional about my phrasing, but that's what I keep coming back to, creator God of the universe, to remind us that we do not worship some voiceless, powerless idol, um, but we worship an omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, perfectly holy God. This is a focus on God's distance from us in his essence being power and perfection. But at the same time, you'll also notice that I almost always start my public prayers by saying, most gracious and loving Heavenly Father. And that is not something that I try to mix up because that is something that I inherited from my paternal grandfather uh, who was the spiritual head uh, of our clan, a kindly and gentle man who was a thorough believer in God's sovereignty, even though he couldn't have told you who Calvin was, but he knew that he was a loving and gracious God who was with his people. And this is a focus on God's nearness in his personal relationship with his people. So theologians have a fancy set of Latin-based words uh, for these two attributes of God, his nearness and his distance. And I'll try to only use them once tonight. Uh, they encompass far more than we can discuss in a short devotion. Um, but for our purposes, we have the concept of God's distance, his transcendence. He transcends humanity. He surpasses it. He goes beyond us in ways that can't be fully comprehended by the human mind. Um, but he is also near to us. And this is called his immanence. I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E. -E. It's confusing because there are three homonyms. Eminence, that begins with an E, that means famous. And eminence, that has an I at the beginning and also an I in the middle, means that it's about to happen. It's imminent. It's going to happen really soon. This is eminence with an I at the beginning and an A in the middle, and it just means he's near to us. And I was powerfully struck by the contrast and connection between God's distance and his nearness in one single verse while recently reading through Isaiah. And if you'll turn with me now to Isaiah 57, 15, I'll read it for us. After 14 verses of pure condemnation and judgment on the people of Israel, Isaiah writes, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him his, who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly 
and to revive the heart of the contrite. The key takeaway tonight is that the almighty God who inhabits eternity also graciously dwells with the repentant sinner. The almighty God who inhabits eternity also graciously dwells with the repentant sinner. First tonight, I'm going to quickly describe God's distance and nearness using this verse uh, as the anchor, and then give two uh, short application points for how each of these should affect our lives. Books have been written on these great attributes, but I just want to try to, to pass on a few ideas for you tonight. First, God's distance, how he is different from us. And we see this in the first half of the verse. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. In one sense, God is beyond anything that we can really comprehend. He is high above us. He, ex- he is exalted. He dwells beyond time. He dwells beyond physical place. He always has been, always will be. He's everywhere. His name, his very essence is holiness, a concept which at its core has the idea of separation and distance, perfect purity and goodness beyond that what is obtainable um, by earthly means. And so he is so different and so distant from us in many ways. But then, after the first half of the verse provides a telescopic view of the spiritual cosmos, looking at the vastness of God, which we can only look at one little piece of at any given time, The second half of the verse takes a sudden and surprising turn given the previous uh, railing of condemnation and judgment against the people of Israel in the the book, excuse me, in the first 14 verses of Isaiah 15. The second half of the verse switches and suddenly we have a microscopic view on a single sinner. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The same great and glorious God who is beyond us, who can't be comprehended, dwells with us, lives with us. More specifically, he dwells with the lowly, those who have absolutely nothing in themselves. He dwells with the contrite, those who are broken and repentant. He dwells, most importantly, with the lowly and contrite, not to condemn them or to defeat them or to destroy them, but to revive them, to give them life itself. Take what is dead, the human heart, and make it alive. And obviously, uh, those of you who are here tonight uh, are for the most part Christians and you understand exactly how God has done this. He's done that through his son, Jesus, who Isaiah calls Emmanuel. God dwells with us. And through the coming of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died as a man, we are able to have access to this revived life that God gives us. We also sometimes, however, forget that although Christ came to dwell with us, he also is 
God above and God holy and God um, beyond us. We see this in Colossians 1, 15 and following where these two streams are brought together. Jesus' greatness and the work that he did here on earth in the cross. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So in him we have access to the great glories of God through his work uh, being with us here on earth. Again, we could have many applications uh, from these ideas, but just to pick a few for this evening. What do we do with the idea of God's distance and his glory and his greatness? First, to be blunt, do not toy with God. Do not toy with God. He deserves and can demand and ultimately will demand the worship of every creature. And he deserves your worship. He deserves it continuously, not just on Sunday for an hour, but all day, every day. He deserves it with consistency in good times, in bad times, when you feel like coming and when you don't feel like coming, when you're feeling glorious and when you're feeling broken and downhearted. He deserves your worship. And he deserves it with reverence and awe. He deserves your full attention. He deserves your entire focus, not just going through the motions, but with your whole heart and your very being. He also deserves your obedience. You can't toy with him by just ignoring him and doing your own thing. How can you ignore your creator? How can you ignore the one who controls every atom in the universe? How can you ignore his power? How can you ignore his power of what he can do to you, both good and bad? How can you ignore his word? This God who is beyond us gave us a great gift. He chose to communicate with us, those who are lowly and not like him. He made himself available to us through his word, through his spirit, through his son, and we can't ignore that. First, do not toy with God. Secondly, accept that on this side of glory, you will not understand everything. You need to learn to accept the mystery and to be humble. You're not going to come to an understanding of every minute doctrine. You may come up with an idea, but you're not really going to come up with full understanding um, on this side of glory. There are going to be things you're just going to have to accept because God tells you and it's God's right to tell you. And you need to be humble in that. 
when you're working with a Christian brother or sister. Understand that you do not understand everything. You are not God. God is different from you. God is beyond you, and you cannot claim to be God in their life or to tell them that your way is God's way and the only way. You need to have the humility to know that each of us is fallible and broken, and to the extent we understand and to the extent we have the necessary knowledge and faith, it's only through the gift of God. So do not toy with God and accept that you will not understand everything. Regarding his nearness, there are two obvious applications for this. First of all, to the believers, be comforted. The God who made everything, the God who controls everything, the God who does not need us, said that he will be there for us. He has promised that he will be there for us. He makes it, he, he, he has communicated to us that a very part of his being, a very attribute of his godliness is that he loves and that he shows grace. So as a believer, you should be able to live uh, in that love and grace day by day, uh, whether times are difficult or good, knowing that you are in his hands. You can't escape him. You don't have the power. He does. He will take care of you. You may not understand, going back to the first part, what's going on every day, but you need to trust that he has you and is caring for you. You need to have comfort and joy as we see throughout Paul's letters repeatedly, even as he writes from jail to people who are under persecution. You are to have joy and comfort in knowing that you have God in Christ. And finally, the application for non-believers. The almighty God who inhabits eternity graciously dwells with the repentant sinner. How can you refuse to respond to this great offer from the great God who is willing to lower himself to care for you and love for you and offered up his very son for you? This great God has ultimate power over you. You can refuse him. You can ignore him, you can rebel against him, and you can go to your death claiming your rights and your individuality and your own goodness, and God will judge you. And he can judge you because it is his right. He has the power to do it. He is your creator. And he's promised that he will condemn and judge those who are not repentant. But right here in the midst of this sermon on judgment and his great power to judge everyone, he says, but. He says, for those who are broken, for those who come to me repentant of their sins, repentant of their rebellion against us, I bring a revived life. I change your lowly spirit and your lowly heart when that is in Christ and gets all the rewards that Christ as God's own son as the as also the creator and ruler of the universe all the gifts and goodness that he gets as as God's son we also get as his children that he's reached down 
to give with us. So I beg you, if you're here tonight and you are not a believer, do not ignore God. Hear his plea to you. See the great gift that he offers you in offering himself. He literally is offering you the greatest thing that can be imagined. And it's great beyond what you can imagine. Let us close tonight um, with a prayer to this great and gracious God. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, you are the creator of the universe. You are omnipresent. You are omniscient. You are all-powerful. You are perfectly holy. And we are none of those things. We are sinners in need of salvation. But you condescended to lower yourself, to come down and live among us that we might have life. The grace and love that you have for your fallen and broken creatures is ultimately beyond our imagination. We have earned nothing. We have earned nothing but your ire and your wrath. Yet you offer yourself. Father, we pray that we would live out the implications of that and in the way that we live our lives, that we would be thankful for what you have given us, that we would be thankful that you are the kind of God that you are. And Father, we pray that your word would go out and that many would be saved, that you would call many to be your very own and to take this gracious offer so that you could be gloried that you could be glorified, that your name would be even further exalted because of your good, goodness and your greatness. And we pray all this in the name of our indwelling Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.